Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy 2024! New year, new you, right? Let me guess. You're thinking about joining a new gym, starting a fad diet, buying that... Theragun everyone's always yammering on about, <laughs> I've got a better idea. Listen to my podcast. I'm Samantha B, writer, comedian, and host of Choice Words from Lemonada Media. This whole month of January, we're going to help you make better choices in 2024. We'll go beyond superficial hacks and get at the truth of how to lead a more meaningful life. Just search for Choice Words on your podcast player of choice and hit follow so you don't miss an episode. Now that is a good choice. Lemonada. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Raised by Ricky. I am Ricky Lake. And I'm Kaylin Allen. So good to see you, honey. Hear you, <laughs> talk to you, be in your presence. How are you, honey? I'm wonderful. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I was a little unprepared for, you know, our session. You know, I didn't have it, it in my calendar. It happens. Does it happen to you? Well, I mean, they do send us calendar invites. So. I, I, I know. It's very <laughs> unlike me like me to not be on top of my game, to be honest. Right. I'm a Virgo and I, I don't like disappointing people letting people down so forgive me you didn't let me. nobody down it won't happen again it won't happen you again. didn't let nobody down i know but it's just it's bad it's bad it's 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 bad character oh so God. i'm just like well shaking, we are I'm here now we're here we're now here, and that's what's important and i'm really happy to be here same um okay so reality tv you're a fan right you are a fan you know i don't watch a lot of reality tv i did when i was growing up I watched a lot of reality TV growing up, like Charm School oh or God. Flavor of Love or I Love New York, The Surreal Life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the, your type of shows that you liked. What about what about the Bravo Bravo shows, Housewives? Like the Housewives. So I have watched Real Housewives of Atlanta. Also, you know, my dogs are from Vanderpump Dogs, and I've been on Lisa Vanderpump's podcast. I've been to Lisa Vanderpump's house, but. I say that because even though I do not watch it on a regular basis, I still am very aware of everything that happens specifically in the Housewives franchise because of social media, specifically Twitter. Really? So what? You'll see the highlights and then you oh, catch yeah. up that like, way. I know who's beefing with who. I watch the clips. I watch all that. Like I am very much in tune to what's going on, even if I have not seen the episodes. So yeah, what is Vanderpump Dogs? Uh, okay, so Vanderpump Dogs is basically a dog shelter that they have rescues that need to be adopted, you know? And so you go, it's also a grooming salon too at the same time, but it's real bougie. And does does Lisa come through there or no? She does. She, she does? No, she does. She does. And like the family works there. Wow, like really? When you, yeah, if you've ever watched like the Vanderpumps or anything like that, because, you know, they also had their own spinoff, but Lisa Vanderpump was on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I know that. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm well aware. That's how I know her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was on there, but she's like known as a restaurateur or something like that. How right. you see it? Sir. You know? She has Sir, and then she has all these other ones now. Correct. Yeah. And her husband also creates uh, restaurants. If you and this is why I always know that people probably gonna know the Vanderpump name at least because everybody named Mama go to Vegas, and if you go to Caesar's Palace, they got a whole Vanderpump garden there. You know. And what's her house like? Spell it uh, out. 
Okay, so they show the house on the Housewives or whatever they whatever show. I don't know if anybody lives there. That place, when you walk in there, first of all, there's like swans that swim through a, like a little pool. No, like when you pull up, not. yes, there is. And then you go inside, and I, you ever been to Z Gallery? Yes, the, the That's store the, that they yes. sell. Okay, that house is Z Gallery. <laughs> it looks like don't nobody in there sit down. Don't nobody touch anything. I have never been to a more put together like. You walk in that house and you know exactly who lives there. You so know, it's like sterile. Like there's there's no, yes. no pictures anywhere. No, there's sense. pictures. No, okay. it's, it's pictures, but it's more like it look like a museum. You know, and then you walk to the. So we we did the podcast in the back where the pool is. I mean, it's on a hill, and she got like all. She got fifty million dogs because I told you she liked dogs. She yeah. got fifty million dogs, and she got all these like dog houses, and they just be running around, and it's all this land. Is a big old pool. I for, wait because the house actually has a name, Villa Rosa. Uh, Villa Rosa. Villa okay. Rosa. Good for her. Good for her, right? Oh, yeah, she's living it up. Mm-hmm. Well, is it safe to say Andy Cohen discovered her, you know? Is that her, the first thing she ever did? I mean, I'm sure she's she was Publicly? had money before, right? Because she had to be in order to be a housewife. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Housewives is the first thing. Wow. Well, Andy, Andy Cohen, who we're talking to today, is best known for being the executive producer of the Real Housewives franchise, which started in 2006 with the Orange County cast. He also hosts a late night show in Bravo called Watch What Happens Live. We love that show. And Sirius XM radio show, Andy Cohen Live. Correct. But what is really interesting is that he actually started at CBS as a news producer in like the early 90s. Unbelievable. Yeah. He went from behind the camera to really just, you know, being the huge superstar he is today. And, you know, some of the things I wanted to talk about with him is his influence on shaping reality TV. He really is like the mastermind. The evolution of his incredible career, the connection between modern reality TV and my old show, because there is a connection. You know that, right? And I also want to talk to him about my friendship with him and how he's kind of, in a weird way, living my old life. It's crazy. Wait, what's that? Oh, oh, it's the doorbell. Bring it, baby. Andy, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know you're, you're the so busiest welcome. man in television. And I just so appreciate it because, you know, you and I have known each other for a very long time. Yes, I think we were have. going on 26 years. It's before I had children, before you were on TV, before, you know, Way I was before. in the... Th- yeah, we met in the East Ham- in East Hampton uh, one summer, the only summer I spent there. But I've never really compared notes with you. You know, you and I, we we don't do necessarily the same thing, but there's a lot of parallels, and I'm just so excited to talk to you. I don't know the origin story necessarily of how you ended up where you are, and you is it true you wanted to be the next Matt Lauer? On the Today Show, is that really true? Um, I wanted to be a newscaster. And what I really thought is that I wanted to be on TV. And at the time, because I'm old, at the time- Watch it. We're the same exact age. Right. No, we're not the same age. I'm older than you. No. Well, a couple months. You're born in 68. Me too. Oh, I just turned 54. Oh, all right. Yes. So, you know, when we grew up, There were not many avenues where you could actually be yourself on TV. If you really think about today, there are so many, quote, personalities, and there are so many talk shows. I mean, I guess there was like Dinah Shore or Mike Douglas or things like that, talk shows like that. But um, for me, I wanted to be myself on TV, and I just thought, well, I'll be in TV news and that, and then I thought, you know, maybe working at a morning show would be somewhere where, you know, that's the moat, that's the place where you could be yourself and interview people. And it seemed most suited for me. And did you study journalism? I did. You, I studied did, broadcast you? journalism at Boston University. Well, the, you know, I find this very interesting because I have some of these same dreams and aspirations right now. Right now, I'm getting my master's at NYU in journalism. Wow. But... I, too, told my team, I was just like, you know, ideally, I could see myself at a Today Show or Good Morning America, you know, definitely in that realm. You know, I spent five years at the Ellen DeGeneres show, so it's like, I kind of want to 
branch out and do news as well. So I find it interesting that you had this this mindset already. Now, how did we go from wanting to be on the news to now this media mogul? Did you sign an NDA at the Ellen DeGeneres show? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but I'm sure it's probably Nolan Void by now. I don't think so, sweetie. Warner Brothers, they don't mess around. Okay, um, telepictures. And, yeah. Telepictures, yeah. They don't fuck around. Anyway, I didn't. I, You know, I... Listen, I always had big dreams for myself, but I just wanted to work in TV. That was my dream. And so when I started working TV and I got my first job at CBS News... I thought I had made it because my check said CBS on it. And I was working behind the scenes and I was in New York, working in New York. And I was kind of hobnobbing with all these famous people who were coming to do this shitty show that I worked for, which was the morning show on CBS, which was not a shitty show, but it was a fine show. It was the lowest rated morning show. Right. But it was third. But who was hosting at that time? Was that Harry Smith? Yeah, it was Harry Harry Smith Smith and Paula Zahn. But even then, you know, I was like, wow, this is so cool. I I work at CBS. And I was running around the hallways watching them shoot As the World Turns. And the Joan Rivers show was in the studio next door. And I was like, this is so cool. And here I am, you know, 22 years old. And I just thought I had totally made it. And what were you watching at that time? Were you into talk shows at that? Yeah, at that I was time? really. Well, I was really into Oprah, Ricky. I was so into Oprah. Um, I was really a student of Oprah, and that started when she launched. I just was so blown away by her. And then in college, I mean, my roommate. It's a, it's a wonder that I had to come out to him because I was recording <laughs> Oprah and all my children every day on my VHS. <laughs> <laughs> and I would get furious at him if he changed the channel before uh, he left for class because then it meant that it wasn't taping on Channel 5 in Boston, which was ABC, and I needed 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock to tape every day because that was AMC and Oprah. And um, I just thought that Oprah was just, you know, the second coming. And... Um, what about Phil Donahue? Did you, did you oh, watch him during Phil Donahue. Those? I was a caller on Phil Donahue once in college. Um, and the guest was, it was in, in, in Boston and New York, Phil Donahue was live. Um, and I thought that was so cool that Donahue was live in Boston. I was like, wow, this is really happening right now. And mm. one day he had on the former press secretary of of Ronald Reagan, and it goes to show what a different time it was uh, because, first of all, I just hated Ronald Reagan so much because he was so bad to the gay people. And mm-hmm. um, But here was this guy, Larry Speaks, who had written a book about being his press secretary, and I called in to yell at him about how could you sell out all of these people and write a book about it. Meanwhile, that's all anyone does, and I've written four books selling everything out. <laughs> so... Um, but anyway, I I got on, you know, I got on Phil Donahue, which is so funny. I wound up getting on Sally Jesse too. And then was I ever on Ricky? I don't think I ever was you in the, sat in the audience. I at sat the in very the audience for taping. the very final episode of Ricky, which was amazing. Were, did you watch my show back then before I, I knew did? You? you know, I watched it. Um your show was something that I watched kind of cursorily because it messed up my, I was taping Oprah and all my children. So I couldn't tape you. And so I was on I a different would channel. watch you a little yeah. bit. We had desks on our TVs at CBS. So I would watch you at CBS. And then when I became friends with you, I, be, I paid even more attention. I, when you came on, I was like, oh, this is a big deal. She's the young Oprah. And I saw that you were doing totally different things. And you, you know, you you were the voice of a young generation. And it was, I, I totally got what you were doing, but I was still an old lady. And I was, I needed to tape my soaps and my Oprah. <laughs> so that's why I didn't catch you as much. But I had great respect for what you were doing. And I got it. And I was like, wow, this is a big deal. And of course, I had been a fan of yours for from Hairspray. But right, I remember right, right. when we became friends and 
Not what do to, you remember of that time? Because I well, have my own memory of it. Well, I, and not to jump the gun on that, but um, well, what I remember is that I was so, my favorite thing was I always used to say to you, what are you having on your show? You know, what's your show today? You would be like, I have no idea. Or I would say, I would see you that night for dinner. What'd you, how was your day? <laughs> oh, I had three shows. What were the topics? I don't remember. What are the well, can topics? Can you relate? Can you, you relate now? Well, this is, hold on. What's so funny is, so you you never remembered, and I would be like, come on, come on, I really want to know. And then you would sit there and you'd be like, oh, okay, okay, I remember. And then you would start telling the stories, and then you would start cracking yourself up, and you would be like, <laughs> oh, my God, well, we had this show, da 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 and you'd be like, oh. And it would be coming to you as if you were reliving it in your mind, and then you you would realize, oh, that was funny, oh, that was good. But you would have to kind of play it back. And the funny thing now is, and by the way, I lived two blocks from where you lived then. And by the way, I lived then two blocks in the other direction from where you lived. So I'm yes. still in this area, but you were going to a certain playground that I now take my children to. I just came from taping a show. I had two yesterday. I have two tomorrow. And it's like, if we had dinner tonight and you said what was on my show, I'd be like, I don't know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's it. And people, you know, you might be like, well, I'm not worried about it. Just what was your show? But anyway, so I feel like it's so weird. I realized the other day you and I were texting about something and I was like, I'm living the life that you were living and it's 25 years later. It's crazy, Ricky, because now I have young kids. I'm doing these shows. I'm taking them to Disney things. And it's just absolutely wild. But I have memories of you doing all that stuff. And now you're on the flip side. It's just so weird to me. Okay, kids, we need to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. I wanted to ask you about the real world. Was that... Was that something that like lit you up when that started the real in 92? World really lit me up and I'm quite sure you and I really discussed the real world. Um but yes, that totally blew me away not only because um they were showing gay people that were my age or our age on TV which was absolutely mind-blowing, but um, it was a soap opera, but it was reality. And mm -hmm. the theme that you will see running through all of this for me is soap opera. And so I talked about all my children before. Now we have the real world. And I'm looking at this show and I was like, there is an infinite amount of possibilities here with the real world. It's all about the casting and this can go in any direction and they can do it in any city and it's going to be totally different every season. Now, fast forward all these years later with The Real Housewives, this is crazy, right? Because here we are. Did one thing have to do with another? Not deliberately, but mm -hmm. it's pretty incredible. 
what I'm interested about is like, especially when we talk about reality and because, you know, Ricky, it's like you've talked about like after 9-11 being in a place of like, I don't feel like I should be doing these type of topics, you know, or having these type of discussions. So, Andy, is there ever a point or was there ever a point, especially with how big Housewives has become, that you were like, does this hold substance or purpose in the world? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think that the substance, I don't expect for it to. I hold it in the place that I held soap operas growing up, which is a place of escapist entertainment that connects me to a group of people in a way that takes me away from my reality um, to a place that I want to go to take my mind off my troubles. I hear from more people who are you know, going through terrible life events, um, life-threatening illnesses, divorces, things like that. And they say the only thing that got me through it, believe it or not, is this show. Or, you know, some people, even with all the conflict in the ha- in the Housewives universe, people say, you know, this is something that is actually escapism for me. It's, or there are people who say, say yeah. you know, my daughter and I don't get along. We fight about everything. And the only common ground that we have to talk about that's fun for us in our lives is housewives. And so, and that's to me what, what soaps used to be for me and some of my friends and me and my mom, we used to talk about all my children in a really fun way. And it was just a really safe topic. I have families who say, I don't agree politically uh, with, mm-hmm. with anyone in my family, but we can sit and we can talk about the housewives and it's safe. And so, you know, that makes me happy. And so in terms of a larger place, I think every so often there will be something like, um, you know, Jackie on New Jersey suffered from an eating disorder. And I thought that the way that she shared her story was actually something that wound up being educational for me or Chanel Ayan on the housewives of Dubai talked about being mutilated in, um, in um, Africa as a child. And, and, and she raised awareness for me about something that I knew nothing about. So listen, I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna and say that this is some big shape shifter on social issues, but I'm saying every so often, you know, you learn things, through your friend on the show about something that maybe maybe you wouldn't know. But ultimately, I think it is purely escapist entertainment. Well, I think what's interesting about that is, you know, with the Ricky Lake show, we had people on the show that the everyday person could relate to. And I think what helps with the escapism of Housewives is the fact that we have these rich women that a lot of people might not necessarily financially can relate to, but they find the humor and the enjoyment in seeing how chaotic it can be. Even if you got, you know, she by Sheree coming out spring, September, you know, (laughs) or something like that. But it's like, what my question now is like, when you were developing housewives, what was the intention? Were you very specific on which housewives you wanted to be on it, where social class they came from, like what, what It financial? was developed, it, it was really, we backed into it. A man named Scott Dunlap brought us videotape of his neighbors in a neighborhood called Coto de Casa in Orange County. And Vicky was on the original tape. Lori was on the original tape. And they were just these moms and their kids were all attractive And they all, they spoke to their kids in a way that I had never seen parents speak to their kids. And the kids spoke back to them in a way that I hadn't seen. And the moms just had these enormous boobs and they were wearing bikinis in their grottos in their backyards. And it was very sexy and scandalous. And it was right around the time that the real house and that that Desperate Housewives was a huge hit Mm. on ABC. And so really... Um, in my mind, I think all of us, I think Scott thought it was, I don't totally still know what Scott thought it was going to be. I think he thought it was going to be like a Curb Your Enthusiasm type semi-scripted mm. comedy about suburbia, I think. Um, because his original tape, I remember, had narration and I there was a lot going on. And then I thought it was going to be a soap opera. 
and that they, you know, they all went to the same tennis club. And I was like, oh, that's like in Knott's Landing. They're all in this suburbia, whatever. And anyway, we called it The Real Housewives. And The Real Housewives was a play on Desperate Housewives. And the <laughs> first, I love that you say that. Yeah, it is. And the first ad campaign, and that's why they're holding oranges. Because the ad campaign mm, for Desperate House, they had Housewives, apples. they were holding uh, apples. Mm-hmm. And our wow. lawyers said the NBC lawyer or ABC owned by that. I think it was owned by NBC. They were like, you can't use oranges because ABC could sue. And I remember Lauren Zelaznik who ran Bravo at the time said, well, ABC doesn't own fruit. This is citrus. (laughs) This is citrus. And And what uh, was the programming at Bravo at that time? Because you were. It was Queer Eye. We had projects. You also did, oh, you did, I came to visit you in Malibu at Pepperdine. You did the Battle of the Network the Reality the, Stars. That was Network the first show stars. I ever was, did on, on Bravo. I remember yes. hanging with Amarosa yeah, at Pepperdine, waiting for some, like. And this is in a producer position, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I was in charge of current programming at Bravo. So mm. all the shows that were being produced were under my watch. So with the Real Housewives, basically this Sherry Levine and I were handed this VHS and it was like, we're going to do this show about these women. Now you guys have to figure out what the show is. And we went from there. And and, so the- and by the way, before it premiered, um, my, my boss, Lauren, said, we're going to add, or it was called The Real Housewives. And she said, we're going to add of Orange County to the title in case we ever decide to do it anywhere else. And I was like, that is the dumbest title (laughs) I have ever heard. The real housewives of Orange County? Like, that doesn't even make sense. I'm like, where are we ever doing this show again? So once again, (laughs) Mm -hmm. dope me. No. Did you ever anticipate? No. No? We have 10 housewives, Ricky. I have this little postcard sitting on my desk just to remind me. I look at it, and I'm like, okay, what's going on with Atlanta? What's going on in Beverly Hills? What's going on in New Jersey? What's Oh, that was Dallas. Now it's Dubois. Like, you know, so it just is there to kind of, it's my little check-in spot. To so I can tick down to make sure, like, okay, is there something I'm supposed to be doing here? And with these women, like, do you ever have any sense that that what is going to be uncovered? I mean, for example, no, I mean, no, I mean, um, no, of course not. One would assume that if you were going on a reality show, you wouldn't have something to hide, right? Right. You would assume that. You would. Yeah, but, I mean, so right. many of them. Yes. Just, but, I mean, it, it makes for great out. TV. Yeah, it does. What's so interesting to me is that I think it was only during COVID that you, Ricky, got into the Housewives. I, is that well, right? No, I've been no, – well, Atlanta, I, you, you, we, I've gotten into new casts. But Salt Lake I got into because my husband, Ross, is an ex-devout Mormon. Right. And, you know – so, so Utah was really interesting for us, and then it just took on. No, I've always been into Beverly Hills, but some of the oh, other casts have. I got into during COVID and Below Deck. I was making a movie in Canada last right. summer, and I was got way into that and others. I mean, it's like I am a Bravo. You know, I'm obsessed as just like the rest, but I'm not like the encyclopedia of it right. all. Right? Okay, but. Do you think, and you've said to me before that like the housewives are somewhat derivative of talk shows like mine. Do you, do you still feel that way? I don't think the housewives are derivative of shows like yours. I think watch what happens live has, I mean, I think that there's, I think you guys, I mean, to me, you invented the doorbell. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like, I just always think of the Ricky Lake show when the doorbell rang. I mean, you knew there was Mm -hmm. trouble behind the door. And for mm-hmm. me, it's just a surprise guest. 
But I think that the fun, to me, the Ricky Lake show was so fun and it was so outrageous. And I just think you would do things and play games on the Ricky Lake show that you would never see on another talk show. And that's how we try to be on Watch What Happens Live in terms of pushing the envelope and stuff. But um, I don't know that I, I don't know that I see the correlation between the Ricky Lake show and Housewives, but I do and Watch What Happens Live. Well, I have a question to that, because how do we go from producing to now you're in front of the camera? And and also to that point, also, because I think what is very admirable about your career as a whole is that these things have become successful. So how did you have this formula? Do you feel as though it's from your producer background, but how did you crack the code multiple times? Well, I think that first of all, it's always a team of people. So I never want to take like full credit. I think I got a lot of the glory for the housewives specifically, but I think first of all, you have the casting and producers and I think it was a perfect storm of, of things happening. And in terms of me being on the air, uh, when Ricky was seeing me at uh, Battle of the Network Reality Stars, I was in charge of current programming at Bravo. I was emailing very gossipy reports of what was happening on set to my bosses. And I would do that every time I was on set of a show. And my boss, Lauren Zelaznik, said, listen, you should write a blog. You're a good writer. You should write a blog on the Bravo website. And you'll be the first network executive blogging about the shows. I did that. In turn, I started to get interviewed about television from random. I became like a talking head on CNN when they wanted someone to comment about the phenomenon of this or that or the other. And I loved it because I initially wanted to be in on camera, but I was still behind the camera. Now I'm 14 years into my TV career. I'm happily behind the camera. I have a great job at Bravo, but hey, now I'm getting to be interviewed about stuff. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Lauren wanted to do a a live show on bravotv.com which had which there were no live shows on web sites really and I did an after show after top chef and I did it out of a closet and she said it'll be an extension of your blog I did it for like 12 episodes after Top Chef. It was so fun. They paid me like $50 or $100 an episode to do it all while I was still doing my day job, which was a very big job running current programming at Bravo. All the shows were under me. Um, and then... Uh, uh, was Project Runway around then? Yes. Was that and I started doing an online after show after Project Runway, too. And they got it sponsored by American Express, which was a big deal because now this little online show was starting to make money. And then they were like, mm. OK, we're going to pay you a little more. And I was like, I don't want to be I didn't want them to think that I thought that I was like a star or that I deserved anything because I knew that what they needed me for was my day job, though I was very happy that this stuff was happening. Orange County season two, Lauren was like, we should do a reunion show for this to extend the life because the ratings were going really, you know, the ratings were good now for season two. She goes, mm -hmm. would you want to host a reunion show? And it'll be like an extension of the online show. And it'll be the first show to go from online to linear. And I was like, would I ever? Yes. And so I did it and I wasn't good, but I wasn't bad. And, um, <laughs> And then we started doing reunion shows for other shows and they just, you know, they, they kept asking me to do them. Now the face of the network at the time was Kathy Griffin, who probably would have been great at those. And in truth, they probably saved a lot of money on me doing it because I think they were paying in. me like, you know, $500 to do it, you know, and they really didn't know if it was going to be a thing or not. So when did you segue to the clubhouse and watch what happens live? So that what happened in 2009? then, that was 2009. Um, Michael Davies, who runs the still the production company that produces Watch What Happens Live, uh, he came to Bravo Um he he saw me on a flipping out reunion and took me to lunch and he said, you know, I think, I think you're talented. He was the first person outside of Lauren Zelaznik to like in the outside world to say, 
you have talent and you could maybe really seriously do this. And so, and I was like, wow. And he was like, I want to develop something with you or whatever. And he came to Bravo. He said, I have this teeny little studio. I could broadcast Andy's live web show, but I could do it on Bravo for a very small budget. And he took it to Bravo and they got him down to, I think that they budgeted him to $56,000 an episode, which wow. is a it's nothing. It's nothing. Bravo came to me. It was right after my friend Natasha Richardson had died very suddenly in a skiing accident. And I was at the lowest point of my life. And they, and the week I came, I took a week off of work and I went back to work. And right when I went back, they said, do you want to do this test on air for 12 episodes? And I said, yes. And I was so grief stricken that it wasn't, it wasn't the glory moment that it should have been or that I would have mm. always dreamed that it would be. But it was also good because everything was in perspective, which actually was a really good way for me to balance what it meant to me also. I was like, this is a wonderful thing, but it's, you know, it's, there are greater things in the world. And every week I looked at the ratings and I was like, this could go away. I was the one that got the ratings in the morning. So I was like, wow, like this is working. This is mm. working. Okay, folks, got to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back in a jiffy. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, now back to our conversation. Can I go back to the housewives and the crazy, you know, you're in it with these women because I, if you remember, I hosted my own reality show called Charm School. Oh, I, yes, did, I did. Did we ever break it down and talk about yeah, that Yeah, we did. And I, I love it. Well, I might want to share but, with but listeners yours, because- But yours were bad girls. Well, I mean-, I mean yeah, it was I, different. It's all Charm relative, honestly, because, I mean, I look at some of the casts yeah, that you're right, dealing right. with okay. and what they're going through. Yeah, but, right. I mean, for me, I took the job, and I will say I took it. for. They offered me a million dollars for three weeks of work, and right? I didn't even need to hear anymore. Yes, I had never I watched either Rock of Love or with Flava Flav or the second one, which was called Rock of Love with, with Brett Michaels. And the concept was it was season three. Kaylin, were you aware of the show? You were no. I watched it when Monique was the host. Okay, so Monique did the first season with Flavor Flav. Sharon uh-huh. Osbourne did season two, and their great idea was to get Ricky Lake to bring back the standouts of these women that were on these shows. <laughs> And put them in a house, and I get to decide as headmistress who's the most charming, okay? Right. And for me, I wanted, I'd never produced a reality show. I'd never seen how it worked, the ins and outs, and I just mm-hmm. was fascinated. Right. And the first night, and I'd never watched the show. I did no research, well, really. I'm like America's sweetheart, or so I think. And I go, and I think, I'm going to I'm gonna breeze through this. What, what were you going to oh say, Kaylin? Well, I was about to say, well, Charm School specifically was supposed to take 
these these women that were on this show and basically almost like a rehab kind of behavioral kind of thing on yes. teaching them how to be polite and be more well-mannered. And every single one of these women are savvy. They have all built their character on their other mm-hmm. seasons mm-hmm. and they want their own spinoff. Like that's oh, their right. like, agenda. That and by the me. way, when people are fighting for a spinoff, mm-hmm. it's too it's much. Well, that also happened because in Flavor of Love, that happened with Tiffany Pollard. Who who was a superstar. But I have yes. to assume that it happened organically. Like, she was great Correct. on that show and they gave her a, you know, it's like. Right. I don't even know who that is. Oh my God. <laughs> you know who well, New they called her is, New York. Ricky? They called her Wait, New York. I can't picture. I know the name, but I can't picture her. You would but, know her if you saw her. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, my experience the first day, they bring all these women in their little Britney Spears baby hit me one more time outfits, and they all come in and they all suddenly they see each other. And like this one's literally the racist, and this one is, I mean, they were just hated each other and all of them, you know, walk in the house, see where they're going to be bunking, who they're the bunk beds. They're all in bunk uh-huh. beds and you know the yeah. uh, they all at the end of the night say fuck this, we're out of here. They all take their suitcases and they go, and I turn around to the producers and I'm like, "Uh, am I am I pair play?" Here, do I get to go home? <laughs> they, they literally like, no, you have to go wrangle them all and get them back in the house. And it was the, when I say I earned the money, I earned every penny. And it was, it was a fiasco. They, it was so bad. They didn't even, I was, I was contracted to do a reunion, just like you, Andy. And they, it was so volatile and potentially like, like people could have gotten killed that they canceled the reunion. And uh, I learned a lot, but I have like so much respect for you. I mean, the, you're in it with those reunion shows. How, how do you get through it? Well, I think it's just my job, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it, I have to say it used to really be, a, I, listen, I've been now doing this for 16 years. Well, I've been doing kind of reunions for, maybe 17 years, something like that. But so I I know what I'm doing, obviously, but it is really emotionally taxing. And this current Beverly Hills reunion that for this current season was really, really emotionally taxing because the times, and I think, Kaylin, you asked something where, you know, you asked a question earlier when, you know, was is there a moment where I thought the show wasn't, you know, elevating mm-hmm. the culture, you know, whatever. I don't have moments uh, where I do reunions where I where I think, oh, this is gross or I don't mm-hmm. like this. It's very rare that that's happened, but it has happened. And the times that it has happened is when when it seems like the show is coming between family. And that's mm. happened on New Jersey, and it's happening a little bit this season with Beverly Hills. And that's, to me, something that, you know, look, you don't like to see good friendships ripped apart by an argument or whatever, but family is family, and that always really, um, that that gets me. Mm-hmm. Well, that just made me think about the reunion with Phaedra and Candy and all that, and my question, because I think what's very interesting about the housewives is that anytime housewives is even talked about, you are always included in the conversation. And For better I'm or sure, worse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also hard because you somewhat also create these friendships and these bonds with these women. So how do you separate the two to be, well, now I have to be a producer? Well, you know, you know I'm always a producer first. Mm-hmm. And I think that that Phaedra... Um, Candy reunion is a really good example that you bring up because Phaedra was always one of my favorites on Atlanta. I just loved watching her. She was so funny. And not only did I always love her friendship with Candy, but I just loved Phaedra on the show. If you watched, you know, watch what happens live, it's it's easy to see who I'm just delightfully right. tickled by. And Phaedra was always one of them. And when that all unfolded, It was a shock to everyone in the room. And, you know, my first thought is, how does Phaedra come back from this? You know, Mm -hmm. how does Mm -hmm. she, because this is a possible friendship ender with Candy. And is this like, 
is she going to now leave the show? Like what, you know, when it becomes something like that and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And I sat there as a producer and a host and I felt like in my mind, I was throwing her what I thought were lifelines. And I was saying, listen, let's try to dig into maybe if you did say this, maybe let's think about why you said it. Maybe you were so mad at Candy because she hurt you. She had hurt you. Your feelings were hurt. And, you know, I was trying to kind of rationalize it emotionally so that she could maybe grab onto that and say, yeah, you know, you really hurt me and, and this is why and whatever. And I was retaliating and it was wrong or whatever. So that maybe you could get to a place where they could understand each other. But no such thing happened. And, you know, we saw what happened as a result. So, but the producer hat is always on. And I'm always kind of trying to think about, you know, I, I'm not only answering to the viewers who are either going to be really pissed at someone or not, but I'm also trying to, you know, is there rehabilitation for this person or how can we dig into this further? With the Vicky cancer thing with Brooks, to me, I really wanted to get into at that reunion, maybe we should talk about why you're so desperate to be in love that you will ignore that maybe this man is faking having cancer. That turned mm -hmm. out to be something in my mind that was interesting to get into. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It is a lot. And I didn't realize that you were the first gay late night host yeah. ever. I didn't mm. know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's incredible. Yeah. I just love you. And I, I wanted to also say that, like, one thing that I think you and I have in common is that you and I have the ability to basically ask any question to anyone. Yes. I don't know what that is about. How you did and you me, get but that? Do you Ricky, agree? Where, how did you get that? I think I was just always naturally curious, you know, about people. Because my show is real people with real relationships. Right. You know, for me, I got it, A, listening to Howard Stern, but also I got it from, from dealing with reality stars because they were ready to go. You can't ask them anything. Now, I was able to then translate it to big stars. So now I can Huge. do interviews with big stars and I can just You ask. blow me away. I mean, I watch you with Hillary and like what you were able to get out of them. Hillary Clinton was just on with her daughter. And yes, they're, they're on their tour, plugging their right. whatever, their TV show. But you have this knack. And I, I like to think that I do too, even though I've never interviewed Hillary Clinton. But it's like, you have this like impish, like this, that you can say, and you had Oprah, you did Oprah. I think the first time you had Oprah on. Yeah. And you come off as a fan, as a true fan, but you also... Go Thank to you. places that I think a lot of people can't can't do, and so I just I really really respect that about you, Thank and you. Um, and I love you, like I love you, and I love, I love that you. I get to see the person that I know. You know, it's like a lot of people meet me and they say, "Oh, you're exactly as you are off camera as you are on," and you too, and I think that's also rare. Well, and I think the other thing is that you and I are, I would say, if you look at you and I twenty six years ago when we met. I would say we are very similar to the to same who we people. were back then. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I just don't think we've changed much. No. I was talking to Rosie O'Donnell about you the other day, and I go, Ricky is the most pure person. I go, she is exactly who she is, I said, and she has never faltered. I go, she's just always been perfectly herself for the whole time, steady Eddie. And she said, well, I mirrors. totally agree. And and I think the same about Rosie, too. Rosie Actually, is, lives she right is. in my neighborhood. Right. She's And there's something to be said for that, you know? There's like, and especially in this genre of like people see us every day being ourselves, you know? Right. And um, yeah, I really, I love that about you. I am so happy for your success and your beautiful family. You have everything you've ever wanted. Thank you. And yes, you're living in my old neighborhood. I do, I don't miss New York, but I miss New York when I think about right. you being in that playground with your kids and me not being able to come by and see you. I you know? just, it's just so weird. It's just so weird that it flipped all these years later. Like I'm in the back of the black town car now with makeup on, <laughs> going to see my kids. Like, and I'm literally without my bra and my underwear talking to you right, right. now in my, it's true. my guest room. There are arguments to be made for both ways that we did it. You had kids super young. You did it all. You made 
bank all those years ago. <laughs> and now enough. she's just on ayahuasca on the top of a mountain above <laughs> Malibu. <laughs> Yeah, that and other things. I just yeah, went right. to a women's retreat all of weekend. Course. And we were sunning our yonis. Of okay. Course. We were yoni gazing. Yeah. yeah. I, love that. I mean, I Well, yeah, I'm yeah, over yeah, here yeah. in Jersey City still making it. <laughs> yes, you are. Hi, uh, Kaylin. I can't wait to see. Kaylin is such a superstar, and I'm so lucky to have him to co-host and interview you, to, you know, with me. And thank you so much. I of know course. you're the busiest guy around. Thank of you for course. doing this. Thank um, you guys for having me. I love you, Rick. All right. Hmm. There he was. The icon, the Ooh, media mogul. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about our conversation? I loved it. I mean, hanging with Andy, it's like, it just brings me back. It just feels mm -hmm. like home to me. You know, he's like, I, I, I would say a brother or an uncle. And uh, I just love the guy. Yeah. How about you? You know, what I, I think I, what I loved about the conversation is I think from the top, you could tell that you two were genuinely friends. And it kind of reminds me of like old school Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you all grew up in the industry in a time and place where honestly, like you guys were probably all you really had to lean on, you know, or that you could talk to or become friends with, especially like in New York City, you know, and I think nowadays things are so different as far as what that looks like. You know, I think in there, the gap between celebrity and, you know, everyday person isn't as big as it used to be back mm -hmm. in the day. And so I think people have a little bit more community, but I think I really enjoy just being able to see you all talk from a, a place that, felt very un-Hollywood. Right. Sense. I mean, he's very true to himself and and I loved his candor and I loved connecting with him in this way. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was really a lot of fun. I hope you guys listening had fun too. Thank you so much for joining us. And what do they need to do? It would be really great if they did this. They need to make sure that they rate and review us. Okay, because we're trying to grow. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Hey, if you want more Raised by Ricky, just subscribe to Lemonada Premium on Apple Podcasts. Every other week, I answer listeners' questions. Subscribe now. This show is produced by Claire Jones and Nancy Rosenbaum. Our associate producer is Tiffany Bowie. Our senior director of new content is Rachel Neal. VP of weekly production is Steve Nelson. And our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax, Jessica Cordova-Kramer, and DeRay McKesson. And the show is mixed by Johnny Vince Evans. Music is written and produced by Jellybean Benitez, Jason Peralta, and Jay Cutts for Jellybean Productions. Hi, I'm Elise Myers. I'm a content creator and comedian. You might know me from TikTok. Why am I in your ears right now? Well, that's a great question. I would love to tell you. I have a new podcast called Funny Because It's True. On my show, I'll be interviewing comedians, pop culture icons, and also just people I find really funny. We'll be talking about the awkward moments that keep you awake at night. Because if you don't laugh, you cry, right? <laughs> okay, Funny Because It's True. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey friends, it's Megan Trainer And her big bro, Ryan Trainer And her husband, Daryl Sabara. Each week on our podcast, Working On It, we share behind-the-scenes stories and bring you into our hilarious and heartfelt conversations, and sometimes with amazing guests. We tackle everything from navigating Hollywood to mental health to Megan becoming a mother, Daryl becoming a father, and so much more. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and leave no detail behind. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. Listen to new episodes out every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.